Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. You can clap. You can give the Lord a hand this morning. Man, it's just good uh, to sing with you guys and to make much of Jesus. What a beautiful name uh, he is. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to Psalm 103. Uh, We're going to continue our series in the book of Psalms. Uh, This morning, I got kind of a weird, awkward question uh, for us to kick us off, uh, and it's this. Who here talks to themselves? Show of hands. All right, all right. I appreciate all your guys' honesty. Uh, right, I think we all uh, talk to uh, ourselves. And I think one of the greatest examples of somebody talking to themselves is this girl named Jessica, uh, who became a YouTube sensation. Uh, and so we're going to watch this video of this girl, Jessica, talking to herself. Jessica talking to herself. I love that at the beginning, she says, if you didn't catch that, she says, I can be a shark. And then she turns to be a motivational speaker. Uh, I love how kids' imagination can just turn on a dime. Uh, Well, we might not all be like Jessica hopping up on our sinks and our PJs, uh, proceeding to give ourselves a pep talk in front of the mirror, uh, although Matt Hayden told me he does that on a daily basis. (laughs) Don't don't tell him I said anything. Uh, He's sitting right here in the front row. You preach next week, so I better be careful. Um, Anyways, uh, in all seriousness, uh, I think we all talk to ourselves, right? I think we all are constantly interpreting life and telling ourselves uh, what that interpretation is. We're telling ourselves something uh, as we go through life. Our minds speak to us in reason and in thoughts And it influences the way that we see ourselves. It influences the way that we see the world. It influences the way that we see God, for better or for worse. Our hearts speak to us. Our hearts speak to us through desires and through passions. And they influence us in the way that we see ourselves, in the way that we see the world, and the way that we see God, for better or for worse. Life itself speaks to us in the way that the world works, through good or bad experiences and circumstances. And as those good or bad uh, experiences and circumstances come into our lives, we speak to ourselves, and those circumstances influence the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the world, and the way that we see God, for better or for worse. Paul Tripp has this great quote. He says, No one 
is more influential in your life than you are. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You talk to yourself more than any person does. Now, I know some of you are like, John, where are you going with this? This sounds a lot like that mumbo jumbo, random 21st century psychology, right? The kind of stuff that you find at self-help seminars or self-help sections at Barnes and Noble, about 90% of which is good for feeding a fire and being a paperweight, right? Sorry if you write your own self-help book or self-help seminar. Uh, Anyway, uh, I think the Bible has something to say on this, and I think we need to go there first. Did you know that the Bible actually says to talk to yourself? The Bible actually says to talk to ourselves. And not only that, it actually gives us directions on how to do it and why we should do it. And Psalm 103 is a great example of this. So hopefully you have found your place in Psalm 103. I'm just going to, we're going to read chunks of this as we go along. I'm going to start out reading the first two verses. Psalm 103 says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, what is David doing here? What's he doing? He's talking to himself, right? He's saying, soul, bless the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, his soul is actually defined in verse 1. It says, all that is within me. That's a good uh, definition, a working definition for the text of what our soul is. It's all that is within us. It's our minds. It's our heart. It's our strength. It's our motive. It's our passions. It's our desires. It's our thought life. It's our actions. It's what we do with our hands. It's what we do with our feet. It's what we say. It's the deepest places within David. That's his soul. The word bless in this context actually means to kneel. In other words, the imagery that David's communicating is to bless the Lord means to submit, but it also means to submit joyfully. It means to praise. It means to give ourselves over in, in glad submission to the Lord. So let's put this together, and we got a working definition. David is saying, soul, your mind, your heart, your thoughts, your desires, your passions, your emotions, your strength. David, my soul, all of that, bless the Lord. Joyfully submit to the Lord and find delight in him as you praise him. In other words, David's saying, mind, what you think about, the way in which you reason, give that over to the Lord. Submit it to the Lord so that it may bless the Lord, that it may joyfully praise him. David's saying, heart. And your desires and your passions, give that over to the Lord. Submit that to the Lord so that it delights in him and finds praise in him. David's saying, your emotions, they may feel a certain way, but give that over to the Lord and trust him with those. Our actions, what we say, the places we go. David is saying, all of that I want to give over to the Lord in glad submission. That is the biblical version of soul music, if you will. Now, why do we do this? 
Why do we talk to our souls? Why do we tell our souls to bless the Lord? Well, the text actually inadvertently tells us it's because we forget, right? Why would David tell his soul, don't forget the benefits of God if he didn't struggle with forgetting the benefits of God, right? It inadvertently says that the reason we talk to our souls, the reason we tell our souls to bless the Lord is because we forget. Now, in our culture, we tend to think of forgetting in this kind of vein, like a, a fact fell out of our head, right? Or a thought escaped our lips. Like we'll often say like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, right? We tend to think of forgetting that way. But the Bible has a much deeper definition of what it means to forget. And it always has this relational context swirling around it. So let me give you an example. Uh, I've been married for seven years this year. Uh, we're going to celebrate our eighth year of marriage. On August 15th is our anniversary date. Now, what would happen, and my wife's in this service, uh, so what would happen if I forgot our anniversary? Like the date just went out of my head, right? I'm probably going to be in big trouble, right? I'm, I, I, that's not a good thing to forget that, right? But that's, that's what we tend to think about when we think about the word forget, like a fact just fell out of our head. And let me raise the stakes a little bit, right? Because as bad as it is to forget my anniversary, how bad it would it be if I went on a daily basis forgetting that I was married? I stopped pursuing my wife. I stopped loving my wife. I stopped desiring my wife. I stopped serving my wife. Well, then what would my wife do? How would she react then? See, we would still be married, but something would be seriously wrong with the relationship. Much more so than me just forgetting my anniversary. That's the biblical definition of forgetting. Christian, if you are here this morning, and what that means to be a Christian is you have repented of your sin. You've repented of your rebellion against God. That's what sin means. And because of your sin and because of your rebellion, you are separated from God. You're not in a relationship with him. And you were created, you were designed, the ultimate purpose for which you were designed was to be in a relationship with him. And so Jesus comes along and he repairs that relationship. And so you acknowledge that your sin has created a barrier between you and God and that you place your faith in Jesus. And because you've placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus has repaired that relationship with you and God. It's a forever relationship. Nothing can revoke it. It's a lot like marriage. But church and Christian, aren't there times where we biblically forget that we are in a relationship with God? We stop thinking about God. Or perhaps better said, we start thinking about God in the wrong way. We, we stop pursuing God. We stop desiring God. We stop loving God. We stop serving God. And church, it's in these moments that we have to preach to ourselves rather than listening to ourselves. Preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Don't let your soul tell you what to bless you tell your soul to bless the Lord, right? Do you see how this works? Like if I let my soul dictate what I give myself over to in praise, what I submit to, I'm always constantly going to be giving myself over to the wrong thing because inside my soul, I still have this thing called sin that I'm fighting. I don't let my soul lead. I lead my soul. Because if I let my soul lead, my soul has the best inner lawyer. 
My soul has the best inner lawyer. This lawyer can justify anything I do, can make me look so awesome. And to the point where I've convinced myself, my soul has convinced me that I don't really need God because I'm just awesome, right? My soul also has the best inner accuser. This inner accuser who heaps shame into my life, who brings up sin into my life and, and rubs my nose in it, rubs my face in it, and makes me look worthless and convinces me at the end of the day that God doesn't really want me. Right? There's another voice that I need to speak to my soul. Don't let our souls speak to us. We need to speak to our souls. And we need to speak to our souls in another voice. And that's the voice of Scripture. We need to speak Scripture and preach Scripture to ourselves, to our souls, so that our soul may bless the Lord. Now, we make this easy little church one-on-one. We make this easy for you guys, right? Because we don't just preach from the word. What did we just get done doing? Singing. We sing the word. Do you know why we sing the word? It's not because Matt looks good when he plays the guitar, right? Although he does, Uh, right? It's not just because we're like, hey, what are we going to do as part of the service? Let's just sing a bunch of songs. That's that's not why we, we, we didn't just come up with that arbitrarily and randomly. We sing songs because songs get stuck in your head. And if the truth to a melody gets stuck in your head, then doesn't it make it easier to preach to your soul the truth that's stuck in your head? Right? If I were to go down the street and I start humming, hmm, 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 everybody knows the lyrics, what I just hummed, right? I just did the Flintstones theme song, right? We sing songs so they get stuck in your head so that when you leave this place, you can hum to yourself the truth of Scripture and speak to your soul and say, soul, based on this truth, bless the Lord. So what specifically from Scripture do we tell our souls? Well, David tells us in Psalm 103 what he is telling his soul. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his Benefits. Then he goes on to list these benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We tell our souls the benefits we have from God. We remind ourselves of what these benefits are because we are quick to forget what David just wrote. Are we not? We remind our souls of what these benefits are so that all that is within us might praise his holy name. Now, I love this word benefits because it actually is kind of like an insurance term. So in other words, if sin is like mayhem, God is like all state, right? God gives us the greatest insurance claim you've ever seen. It's heaven's own insurance for our lives. I'm going to move through some of these quickly uh, for the sake of time, but I encourage you to to look at these because I could spend a sermon on all of these benefits and they're littered throughout scripture in greater detail. I encourage you to plumb the depths of the Bible and see how crazy radical these benefits are that God gives us. The first one, just log me out one second. There we go. First one, he forgives your iniquities. 
You and I were enemies with God. How do you treat an enemy? Right? You take them out. Show no mercy, right? Because they would do the same to you. But God doesn't treat us that way. God spares us. God lets us go free. God creates peace because of Jesus between us and God. He restores that relationship. There's no longer a rebellion or a war between us and God. It's been forgiven. That's what it means to forgive your iniquity. The second one is he heals all your diseases. Some of you have been physically healed in this life. And man, we should praise God for that. But did you know that if you experience a physical healing in this life, that's simply a foretaste of what's to come. That's simply a foretaste of what's to come because sin has actually creeped into this world and it's created a curse, a curse in which everything breaks down, including our physical bodies. And one day, if you've been physically healed, this is a foretaste of this day. One day, you and I will know a body that no longer breaks down. You and I will be given a new body that constantly has strength, that never gets sick, that looks beautiful all the time, right? That's what it means that God heals our diseases. The third one is he redeems your life from the pit. The pit meant death. The consummation, the final blow of sin's curse is death. You and I will all go into the ground and become dust. But one day, Jesus is going to redeem your life. So not only does he forgive your sin, not only does he heal your body, but one day you're coming up out of the ground. And death will be defeated. The fourth one, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I love how David phrases this. He doesn't just say, hey, God gives you steadfast love and mercy. He says he crowns you with it. To be crowned with something meant you embodied it. It meant that what the crown symbolizes becomes your identity. So if God is king of the universe, then if he crowns somebody, that means they become part of the royal family of God. If we are crowned with steadfast love and mercy, it means that we're adopted into God's family. Church, this is going to sound like, yeah, well, duh, John, but you need to hear me on this because this blew me away when I heard this from a dear old saint. Did you know that God could save you in all that it means to be saved from sin and still not have brought you into his family? Did you know that? Like you could have forgiveness, you could have a new body, you could come up out of the grave, you could live forever in a relationship with God in heaven and still not be a part of his family. You would just be a citizen in God's kingdom. But God doesn't just leave you as a citizen, he brings you into his family. That is the unbelievable benefit that God is extending to us. He didn't have to do that to save us, and yet he still chose to. The fifth one and the last one, it says he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed. There's a difference between believing in God and being satisfied with God. A difference between saying, yeah, I believe in God and being satisfied with God. There's a difference in mustering up your strength to serve the Lord and letting the Lord come and renew you with his strength so that you can serve the Lord. And what does that look like? Well, I'm just beginning to scratch the surface because this is something God's been teaching me in my life. But if I want the vigor, the stamina, the perseverance, the energy, the strength 
the, the, the stalwart ability to say, I'm going to serve the Lord with all I've got. I'm going to fight sin. And, and, and I'm going to look more and more and more like Jesus. If I want that, that's what it means to have the strength of an eagle. If I want that, it comes from God. And the way in which it comes from God is when I am satisfied in him. When I'm satisfied in him, man, God's strength pours out of me. It's his, not mine. When I'm at the end of my life, I want to be this wrinkly old guy that's just ready to be with Jesus, right? How, are some of us here maybe there this morning where you're maybe not so many wrinkles, but it's a good thing to be, want to be with Jesus. The book of Philippians says that, right? Paul's like, man, I'm ready to get out of here. I want to go be with the Lord, right? I want to be this wrinkly old dude who's just ready to be with Jesus. But I want to be spiritually 18. I want to be spiritually 18 where I'm just, I'm ready to just go do something crazy for the Lord. I'm still ready to take risks for the Lord. I'm still ready to serve him. I'm, I, I'm still, I have this tenacity to fight sin, to look holy, to, 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 to fight temptation, to serve God until my last breath. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, our soul, is being renewed day by day. Now, before I move on from here, I want you to notice the personal nature with which David writes. I want you to notice the personal language that he's using here. He doesn't say, God forgives God heals, God redeems, God crowns, God renews, God satisfies, as if it's this some generic thing that God does for everyone. That's not the way he writes here. David has a very personal language with which he talks. David is telling his soul, soul, God forgave your iniquity. God heals all your diseases. God redeems your life. From the pit. God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. God satisfies you. God renews you with his strength. Do you see the personal tone in which David is talking here? There comes a point in the life of a Christian where we have to move from this general, non specific, generic praise of God to a very personal, rich, deep, meaningful experience with God. Right? What we know about God eventually has to be what we experience with God. For most of my life, I would say that I praised God in a very generic, general sense, a very nonspecific way, where I would come into church and I'd raise my hand and I'd be like, yep, I believe, I acknowledge the truth that Jesus Christ died for sins. But guys, there's a difference between saying Jesus Christ died for sins and Jesus Christ died for my sins. Let me name them. Jesus Christ died for my selfish anger. Jesus Christ died for my arrogant pride. Jesus Christ died for my lust. Jesus Christ died for my insatiable need to just be right all the time. Jesus Christ died for the hurtful things I said to my wife this week. Jesus Christ died for my lack of patience with my kids last night. 
Jesus Christ died for my idols. Jesus Christ died for my sins. My sins. Not some random person's sins. If you notice the way that he is talking here, it's a very personal note. And sometimes I think we'll read the scripture and we're like, yeah, bless the Lord, oh my soul. No, bless the Lord, your soul. Your soul, bless the Lord. John Randall, your soul, bless the Lord. Do you not see the wonderful benefits that he's given to you? That he has forgiven your iniquity. That he redeems your sins. The sins that you've committed against God. The sins that have brought heartache into this world. God is weaving a different story of redemption with those. God crowns me with love and mercy. I am in his family. God redeems my life from the pit. There's going to be a day where I come up out of the ground where I know a new body. Where I'm satisfied with God forever and forever. But until that day comes, God comes and satisfies me also right now by renewing my strength. So that today, February 12th, I have the tenacity, I have the vigor, I have the stamina, the perseverance, the strength of an eagle. To look more and more like Jesus. That's why I bless the Lord. What good is it to believe these benefits, church? What good is it to say that they are truth if they are not our personal experience? I think for many of us, our souls struggle to bless the Lord because we have a messed up view of who God is. How can we bless the Lord or how can we tell our soul to bless the Lord when what we think about the Lord is off? What we picture when we picture God is off. How can you tell your soul, hey, soul, bless the Lord, when the Lord to you isn't the Lord of this book? David continues in the psalm, and he gives us a very clear picture of who this God is. This is God behind the benefits. Psalm 103, picking it back up in verse 6, it says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteous and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments in this section god is presented as a father now i know for some of us in this room when we consider our fathers it's a mess it's a real big mess with our relationship with our father so to, to call God Father, ah, it makes us cringe a little bit, right? Others of us, though, let's be honest, others of us in here, we had great fathers. Fathers that were good to us, that showed us real good examples. Maybe they are even people we want to emulate. 
But can I ask us to do something for a moment? Just a moment this morning. Can I ask us to set aside what our fathers did or didn't do well? And can we just consider what the truth of the scripture says about our heavenly father? Because here's the reality. When we talk about God, the father, your soul in this moment right now is going to want to talk to you. Your soul is going to want to talk to you. Your soul is going to want to tell you through your mind, hey, here's some particular thoughts about your dad. Your heart is going to want to feel certain things about your dad. Your life experience has told you, whether awful or whether great, some experience of what you should feel, think, look, consider. It's influenced the way that you look at your dad. And your soul is going to want to bring that up in this moment. But can you do me a favor? Tell your soul to be quiet for a moment. Remember, we need to lead our souls. We don't listen to our souls. Tell your soul to be quiet and listen to the truth of what God is like from the scriptures. God, our heavenly father. Verse seven says that God showed his ways to Moses, to Israel. Uh, What David is referencing here actually comes out of Exodus 34. And David actually uh, writes a verse that's probably, and and the verse that's quoted in in Exodus 34, it's one of the most notable and greatest description of, of God's character. What he tells Moses in Exodus 34 and what's repeated in Psalm 103 is probably the greatest description of God in the scripture. And we see it in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. If you were to sum up what God is like, this is the verse to use. Somebody were to ask you, hey, what is God like? Go to this verse. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And here's a cool little tidbit. In Exodus 34, when God tells Moses, hey, I am gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. When he says that to Moses, do you know what the Israelites had just done leading up to that? They made the golden calf. Probably one of the worst mistakes that Israel would ever make. They made this golden calf And they worshiped it and they said, this is God. And yet it's in the midst of that that God says, yep, this is still what I'm like. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. He enters into the mess and says, I'm faithful. I don't change. This is who I am. David then proceeds to break down these benefits and what they are. I'm going to kind of go out of order here uh, based on the flow of what David did. But the first one that I want to talk about is that the father is slow to anger. The father is slow to anger. Uh, In the original language, if you were to just translate it, uh, slow to anger actually is translated, uh, God has a very long nose. It's actually a Hebrew idiom. And you're like, what does that mean? God has a very long nose? Uh, Well, let me give you an example. When we, or or tell you what uh, David has in mind when he wrote this, When we get really, really, really mad, right, and anger just really wells up inside of us and we just get so mad and our face gets red, and I can't physically do this, but some of us can. When we get really mad, the pinnacle expression of anger is when the nostrils flare, right? You know someone's ticked if their nostrils are flaring, right? They're just beet red and they're just about ready to lay into you, right? That that is 
what God is, or that, that's the imagery that David has here when he's talking in Psalm 103. So for God to have a long nose, it means it takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. If you haven't caught on, a lot to get him angry. He has an incredibly long, 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 long fuse. And along with this, God says he doesn't always chide us. That means God is not the dad who's walking around at home when the kid's laid at night, smacking his fist, being like, I'm going to rip that kid a new one, right? That's not God. God is not that way. You are not a pebble in God's shoe. God is not annoyed with you. God is not harboring anger and stewing on it and just getting super, super angry all the time. God is not the father who goes out of his way to find that one thing you did wrong when you did 10 other good things and just ignore all that and say, yep, you failed here. God's not that way. God is not the God who never says, I'm proud of you and always says, what's wrong with you? God isn't that way. And yet, how many of us picture God that way? Like all the time, God is that way, right? And I think this stems from this issue of anger that we have. We don't understand anger from a a biblical God point of view. And so we think that even when God, don't get me wrong, the text says God gets angry. But I think even when God gets angry, what we have pictured in our minds is wrong. If I, as a father, told my oldest, Evelyn, hey, Evelyn, don't go run out in the street, right? And then she goes and does that, and then I get angry, what does that communicate to my kid? It communicates that I actually care about her safety, right? It communicates that I love her, that I have compassion on her, that I care about her. If all I said was, ah, do whatever you want, and I'll just accept the choice that you make, that doesn't actually really show care. That doesn't really show love. And yet, here's the really cool thing about God's anger, and the really cool thing about why, or the thing that is the characteristic underneath his slowness to become angry. God's just patient. God's unbelievably patient with us. He's patient. And, and he's the kind of patient where he's not like, hey, you have the end of the week to get your act together. Or you're out of here, right? That's not God. God's patient over years, decades, centuries. God gives entire people groups, literally generation after generation, for them to see an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity of God's love for them. See, even when God gets angry, there's a love behind it. It's not a selfish anger. It's an anger that's always considering our benefit. God, and, and here's the thing too. God doesn't always deal with us in a rage, right? The, the, if you actually get way, way deep, I'm not going to go there. If you get way, way deep into the language, uh, God's anger is always described as the opposite of flying off the handle. In other words, if, if you're burning with hot rage, God's anger is a cooled-off anger. God always deals with us in a righteous and good way, even in the middle of his anger. Because there's a love behind it. This is super hard for me to admit, 
Um, but as a parent, when I'm disciplining my kid, there are times when I discipline my kid, not because they've been bad, but because I'm just annoyed. I'm annoyed by them. I'm annoyed that they've invaded my personal space. I'm annoyed that they disrupted my agenda for the day. And when those moments happen, I can't help but think, John, what picture of God the Father are you giving your kids? Parents, especially dads, do you not know that you give a picture of what the Heavenly Father is to your kids? And here's the deal. For many of us, I think one of the reasons we may end up struggling and giving a distorted picture of what God the Father is like to our kids is because the picture we're giving our own souls is messed up. What image of God are you giving to your soul? What are you telling your soul God is like? The second thing that David mentions in this verse that he unpacks is that the Father is gracious. I love this verse. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. You need hope this morning? Go write that everywhere you have paper. God doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. In fact, God says, David's like, how do I describe this? God treats you and, and removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. You can't calculate that. In other words, the minute you become a Christian, your sin goes one way and keeps going that way, and you go another way and you keep going that way. And so the distance between you and your sin becomes greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. That even if you were to try to bring back your sin to you and try to mix it, it would be like oil and water. It would just eventually separate. That's how God treats us with our sin. How many of us have old sins, old sins, our past, things we've done in the past? How many have old sins that our soul uses to bring up into our lives and our current ex, uh, circumstances and shame us? How many have those old sins that creep back up into our lives and they shame us in our current context? How many of us have had our souls tell us, remember when you mocked that kid in school? Remember when you lied to your spouse? Remember when you had sex before you got married? Remember when you cheated? Remember when you said that hurtful thing? Remember when you promised that you would never be this person, and yet here you are? Right? And it's in that moment that our inner accuser and the soul comes out and says, God loves you because he has to. God doesn't love you because he wants to, which is a lie from the pit of hell. Church, we have to talk to our souls. Don't let your soul talk to you. Remind it of the truth of what David is talking about in here, that God has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's like space junk. It's just forever floating away. When God set up the sunrise this morning and you guys came in here, God wasn't setting up the sunrise thinking like, I can't believe what you did last night. Ah, oh, gosh. You think you belong in church? I got news for you. If you sinned last night, this is exactly where you belong. Your sin qualifies you for the love of God. When God creates the sunrise, guess what? He's saying, my mercies are new 
every morning. I love you. I'm just glad you're here to spend time with me, to be with me. That's God's demeanor towards us. I think so, so often we let our souls speak to us and shame us with our current sin. And God's just sitting there saying, what sin? I dealt with that on the cross. It's over. I took care of that. Jesus has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And, and, and here's the thing. This is something I always tell the students. If, if you are a Christian, Jesus resides in you. That means when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. If that's what he sees, how come we aren't looking at Jesus? Why are we getting so distracted looking at our sin? The third thing, the father is compassionate. God is a compassionate father. Why? The text actually tells us. It's because he knows the condition we are in. Uh, When Evelyn was born, she had uh, what's called jaundice, which is really... Uh, it's not super bad, but in really high dosages, it can be really, really dangerous. Uh, And for Evelyn, she was off the charts. We had to go back into the hospital. And the the, uh, um, cure for jaundice is they stick the kid underneath this, like, basically it's like a baby tanning bed. um, And it helps break down the the jaundice in them. Um, But in a tanning bed, when you're a newborn, uh, you get really dehydrated. Uh, And so they have to stick an IV in you. Well, a, a baby can't really get IVs in their arms. Um, And so what they actually do is they do the IV either in the foot or in the head. And I remember, I'm a brand new dad at this point. I remember going into this room and these two nurses are taking Evelyn and they're pricking her in the head to get an IV into her. And it it didn't go well because they had to do it over and over and over and over again. And I just remember not being able to watch that. Brand new dad just had a baby. I had to leave the room. I had to leave the room, right? And parents, you know this feeling. You know this feeling that when your kid is going through something and you can't hold them, it hurts. You do anything to take their place. That's the compassion God has for you. That's what he feels towards you because God's compassion on us. He knows that sin was never supposed to enter the world. He knows that death is not the way it's supposed to be. He would do anything to hold us and to take our place. That's the compassion he feels towards us. That's his love for us. He would do anything to hold us and take our place. And the truth is, the amazing truth is this morning, that according to the scripture, God actually did do something to hold us and take our place. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus so that you and I could live forever. Do you know why? Because it's going to take forever just to get to know the love of God. And to get to know the love of God is to get to know a person because Jesus is the full embodiment of love. Right? Paul, or, uh, David says that his love is so big that not even the heavens, the entire universe, everything David could see at night, all the stars could not contain God's love for us. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3. Paul's like, he literally prays for the Ephesian church to get the love of God. In other words, what he's saying is, I have to pray for this because it will take an act of God just for you to comprehend how much God loves you, let alone experience it. Just comprehend it. It will take an act of God. 
That's how big his love is. David says his love is abounding. It's abounding. That means God goes out of his way looking for places and people to spend his love. Sorry, Dave Ramsey, but God is not a saver when it comes to his love. Right? And you know why? Because God's love doesn't go broke. He can spend it all he wants. He has an endless supply. That is the abounding love of God. It's a steadfast love. That means God will faithfully love you no matter what. Hear me. No matter what. We want to put qualifiers on the love of God. We may come into church and say one thing about the love of God, but experientially in our actions, we believe something different about the love of God because we always want to qualify it. Yeah, God loves me, but, right? God loves me because he has to. No, God loves you because he wants to. That's who God is. And it's a faithful love. That means it's not conditioned on you. Remember, he tells Israel, I am going to love you. You just did the worst mistake you ever could have done. And yet I still love you. I love you no matter what. Now, how does your soul respond when you tell your soul the benefits of what the Father is like? Or when you tell yourself the benefits of what the Father has provided and what he's like? The answer is you join the soul music of creation. You join the song of the rest of creation. Picking it back up, let's end this, land this plane. Psalm 103, it says, The Lord has established, this is verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, Oh, my soul. Can I let you in on a little secret? There are days when I come into church on a Sunday morning and I raise my hands and I sing and I don't want to. I don't want to. There are days when I just, I come to church on a, or I come to this place to gather with the church to make much of Jesus. And there are, there are days where I just, I want to sleep in. I want to go to Homestyle Donuts and get a dozen just go back and veg out, right? There, there are days where I go to my journey group and I'm like, I don't want these people in my house. I, I, I want to go. I love my journey group. I love you guys. But I'm just being honest with my own wickedness, right? I'm like, I, want, I just want to be alone. And I'm a pastor and I do these things. But the reason... I tell my soul to bless the Lord is because I know what my soul needs. I don't let my soul speak to myself because I'm a fleeting creature. I run to anything and everything that will satisfy me. I'm a dust creature. Therefore, I get really excited about things that are made out of dust. And I I, I let my soul let me submit to those things, to praise those things. I'm like a passenger on the Titanic. Right? I'm getting all excited over here about, man, I get to use this china, and I get to use this silverware, and look at my awesome room. Meanwhile, the boat's sinking. Right? And it's like, I need a wake-up call. I need to tell my soul, soul, what are you doing, you moron? Get off the boat and take as many people as you can with you. Man, that's, that's the kingdom of God. Right? Let's take as many people as we can with us and rescue the souls that need to hear the good news of Jesus. I have to lead my soul to bless the Lord, not let my soul bless what is temporal. The reason I sing songs 
The reason I obey God, the reason I come to gather with the church, the reason I go to my journey group is because I need to tell my soul, soul, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord for his benefits. Bless the Lord because of what the Father has done for you. And I need to do that every single day, all the time. And here's the cool thing that happens, guys. When we do this on a daily basis, when we tell our minds, minds, you're going to think about the Lord. You're, you're going to give your reasoning over to the Lord and trust him. Heart, you're going to give your desires, your passions over to him. You're going to give the life experiences that you're going through over to him. And you're going to trust him. All your actions, the things that you say, all the places that you go, you're going to gladly submit that to the Lord and delight and find moments to praise in him when you do that. Here's the cool thing that happens. The Holy Spirit who resides in you, if you're a Christian, will use that opportunity to call the rest of creation to also bless the Lord. Your blessing of the Lord should not be reserved for this building on a Sunday morning. Your blessing of the Lord should go out from this place and call the rest of creation to also bless the Lord. We're way low on time, but I'm going to invite the worship team up anyways because we need to sing. And as they make their way up, I just have some questions. Some questions that I just want to ask. And I'll let the Holy Spirit use them as they will, as he will in your life. Where do you need to make soul music this week? Where do you need to make soul music this week? And what I mean by that is what part of your soul do you need to talk to? Do you need to talk to your mind? Do you need to talk to your heart? Do you need to talk to your actions, your mouth? What do you need to talk to? And what do you need to tell your soul? What truth of scripture do you need to tell your soul? Another question, what are you telling your soul? Examine your life. What are you telling your soul? Where are the places you're letting your soul lead rather than you lead it? Are you listening to your soul or are you leading your soul? Do you personally experience the benefits of salvation or are they just some generic thing that's a fact that you adhere to? But are you experiencing it? Does your prayer, when you close your eyes and picture God the Father, what do you see? What do you see? Does your praise leave the confines of this building? Or does, and does your life say to others, bless the Lord? All of these questions start with this. Is your soul, are you going to tell it to bless the Lord? Let's do that in this song.